the word of the Lord from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. One of the most incredible examples of Christian courage happened on January 5th, 1527, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Anabaptist movement that we are a part of had just been born. The Anabaptists were a group of people that wanted to break with what they saw as unbiblical traditions that had sprung up around the church. They wanted to have the creed of the Bible to worship and believe as the Bible led them to do so. But they ran into trouble because a lot of the other groups of churches had very strict, serious, long-lived traditions that had built up around Christian worship, around Christian life, about when to baptize and who to baptize, and they did not take well to a group doing things differently. Many of our spiritual ancestors had a very, very difficult time of persecution in the 16th century. So, January 5th, 1527, a man named Felix Mance was the leader of the Anabaptist group. Now, the Anabaptist group was only about two years old, and he'd only been leading it for about four months when he was arrested. And he was told that if he did not recant, if he did not swear off his beliefs, particularly about baptism, instead of infants being baptized, the Anabaptists have always believed that believers should be baptized. If he wouldn't swear it off, if he wouldn't recant, They told him he'd be killed. I imagine it was hard for him to sit in a prison knowing what was going to happen or what could happen and not give up and not not recant, not just say the words, even if he intended to go back on them later. But he didn't. He held to his principles. And so they had him march for miles to the place where he was going to be put to death. 
And the entire way, as Felix marched, he was being insulted. He was beaten by people in crowds. And I think they were hoping that the fear of his upcoming death would would lead him to surrender, to recant. And I imagine that the fear he felt was real and powerful. I think sometimes we think that, that martyrs of the faith aren't afraid. But I think Felix must have been afraid and chose courage instead. Because during that march, instead of asking to be set free or instead of recanting a single one of his beliefs, Felix Mance took the opportunity to preach to every single person he passed. And as he was being prepared for execution, and he was given one more chance to recant, his last words instead were the same as his Lord's. He said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he was killed. This summer... We are talking, we're starting a new series, and the series is going to be a little bit different. Instead of one overarching theme over the course of several weeks, we're going to be taking a different subject every Sunday. This Sunday, we're talking about courage. Now, courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing, regardless of fear or its earthly cost. I want to say that again. Courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of fear or the earthly cost. It's not the same thing as not being afraid. Courage isn't about not being afraid. It's about doing the right thing in spite of being afraid. Now, we have a word also that's the failure to have courage. It's a word we don't, we don't like to use a lot. And I think that's good. I think it's kind of a strong word. The word we have for failing to have courage is cowardice. Cowardice is the opposite. It's failing to do the right thing because of fear or the earthly cost. Cowardice is a form of selfishness. And it is definitely not a characteristic that God desires his people to have. So, As we dive into talking about courage, I want to start by talking about where courage comes from. I want to tell you, this message was hard to put together. Usually, a little window into sermon preparation, I like to, during the week, come up with a sermon. And then on Sunday morning, usually I'll spend a few hours going through it. And and usually things will occur to me, I want to say this a little differently, or I I want to change this point. Maybe I want to add this one or take it out. This morning, it was not the the normal process. I just wasn't settled. Um, I felt like there was more to say and more to say, and I ended up with this long monstrosity of a sermon that nobody was going to want to sit through. And it went from four points down to one. It wasn't done until about 10 after 10, and I want to say thank you to Karen Marquis for me being able to run up at 10.07 or so with, here's a a PowerPoint that you haven't seen yet I'd I'd like to have this morning. So I, I was a little unsettled, and I want you to know that today, um, because I'm, I'm, I think that this is going to be timely for us. I think it's going to be very good for us, but it's, I think, going to be perhaps a little unsettling for us, and I think that that's okay. So thank you, Ben, for reading this morning from Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Joshua, son of Nun, he had to take over after Moses. Now, You can imagine that those were enormous 
shoes to fill. Joshua was going to be asked to lead God's people into battle after battle. He was going to have to deal with them as they complained. He was going to have to deal with them in the midst of their fear and his own. And he was going to be used by God to fulfill the promise God had given his people of a land that would be theirs. It's during that time, it's during Joshua's time, that the nation of Israel took the shape that it had for centuries. Through the, through the rest of the Old Testament, changes were made, of course, but it's during Joshua's leadership that Israel really became Israel. And he's understandably a little frightened by the role that he has to fill. And that's why God tells him repeatedly, Joshua, be strong and courageous. That refrain goes through our passage this morning, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous. And God connects that call to courage to two things. He, he, he wants Joshua to know God's word through and through. And that's important. If, he's, if Joshua's going to lead God's people, he's, if he's going to be in situations where he needs courage, then he needs to know what God's word is says. Now God's word for Joshua looked a little bit differently than it does for us today. He had the law that Moses received. We have a much larger word from God. We have a complete Old and New Testament. But the, the call for us to know his word is the same. If we're going to, to act with courage, we need to know what God wants us to do. You don't want to, to take a step out in courage. You don't want to perhaps confront an issue or a person and not be aware of what God's word has to say about it. It's important for us to be in the word to know it. If that's something that you struggle with, if you struggle with a habit of devotions, if you struggle with a habit of, of diving into God's Word and chewing on it and learning it, I want to encourage you to redouble your efforts. I want to encourage you to start again if you've been a while away from it. It's important to know God's Word. But God also tells Joshua that he should have courage because God is with him wherever he goes. God's promise to Joshua is that he will never be alone. He'll always have what he needs in order to accomplish God's purpose for him. And that promise is true for us as well. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we receive his Holy Spirit. And once that happens, we are never without his presence again. God is with us in a much more intimate way than he was with Joshua. His presence is constant. You are never alone. We will never be alone. And it means that we will always have what we need. Because of God's Spirit, we will always have what we need to accomplish His will. And that's an incredible comfort. So God's call to Joshua, He connects courage to two things. He says, first, you got to know my word. And then he says, the reason you should have courage is because I will always be with you. And those are true for us as well. Now, hopefully, we're not living lives like Joshua did. 
While it's true that there are several people in our church, who, in our church family, who are in the military, I, I really hope that no one here ever needs courage because they're going to be charging into battle. But even apart from things like battle, courage is very important. It's important every day in the life of a Christian. A couple of things that take courage. It takes courage to ask God to help us be like Him. This process of transformation that happens in the Christian life, there's these parts of our heart that do not honor Him, these sin struggles that we all have, and it takes real courage to go to God and say, I'm flawed, I'm broken in this way. Lord, make me like you. That takes courage. And it takes courage to share our faith with others. If we're unwilling to be part of the process of bringing others into God's family, then we are failing our calling as Christians. And I say part of the process because it doesn't look the same for everyone. Your gifts and my gifts aren't the same. Not everyone is gifted to be the one to go up to strangers in a restaurant and say, let me tell you about my faith. Some of you, some of us have those gifts, and those are important. Some of us are able to just just see a person and know the time is right for us to share our faith. Some of us are gifted at taking a person who's here and and loving them, getting to know them, taking them out for a meal and helping them to connect with our church. Whatever your gifts are, and they're different, it's important for you to be willing to use them. And still, there are times, whether it's easy or not, whether it's the thing you're comfortable with or not, it's important for you to be willing to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe. And here's why. Here's my story. We need to have the courage to share our faith with others. But there's another area that we need courage. I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about this morning because it's really difficult. I want to talk about Christian courage when it comes to confrontation. And this is a tricky one because the need for courage here doesn't apply to everyone. Some people are natural confronters. For some people, it comes easily. And if that's you, that's a good thing. That's a gift. Now, if it comes so easily, you just really enjoy it and look for reasons, maybe that's not necessarily a good thing and you have a whole different sin struggle you need to to wrestle with. If that's you then it's much more likely you need to learn patience and discernment than courage when it comes to confrontation. But for most of us, confrontation is a scary thing. It usually happens, the need to confront, because we're frustrated with someone. We've perceived an injustice either to us, to something we care about, or to someone we care about. And we feel the need to communicate our frustrations with the person who's caused them. Now, confrontation is scary because our relationships are important to us and we're afraid sometimes that a confrontation with someone will hurt our relationship with them. We're afraid that if I have to have a hard conversation with you, that that might disrupt our friendship. We probably sit 
in the same church together, and none of us want that awkward experience where you, you see the person you've had the hard conversation with, and now you're sitting on opposite sides of the church, right? We don't, we don't want to do it. We're afraid of the consequences that can come from it. So the temptation for a lot of us is to keep quiet, and we let our frustration start to build and boil. But if we hold on to those kinds of frustrations, if we, if we keep them in, if we're unwilling to speak them, then all kinds of bad things tend to happen. You tend to start to, to harden. Your heart hardens to whomever you're holding that frustration in from. If I'm frustrated with Pastor Ben and I don't say anything to him about it and I just hold on to that over time, my heart is going to harden Toward him, And you'll start to notice some differences. You get aggravated with a person more and more easily. Perhaps something else is wrong and your reaction to it is much stronger than it should be. It's because you've held on to things you shouldn't have held on to. Another bad thing that happens when we hold on to our frustration is that the person becomes or stays unaware of whatever we're feeling is unjust. And that means that they may not be able to improve an area God wants them to improve. I'm going to pick on Pastor Ben again because he's here, not because there's, this isn't like a sermon where I'm actually confronting Pastor Ben, right? I'm not, I'm not using the pulpit for that reason. It's just, uh, just he's an easy example. If I'm bothered about something, if I'm frustrated about something, but I just hold on to it, if I don't say anything to, to him about it, then I fail in my role as being part of the body of Christ. I'm supposed to love him. I'm supposed to desire his highest good. And one of the things that means is that his blind spots, the, the things he's not aware of, he needs other people to point out with love and grace to him. And if I withhold that I prevent him from becoming as much like Jesus as he can. I actually harm him by not giving voice to what I've perceived is wrong. Now, of course, there are times that you actually should keep quiet. You perceive that something is wrong and you desire to let someone know, but sometimes it's not their issue. Sometimes it's your issue, and we all know those times happen, don't we? We can all think of a time when we've been upset or frustrated, but when we've taken a minute, we've realized it's actually us that has the problem. I experience this on a regular basis when I do not use my horn while driving in traffic because the anger I have and the desire to confront the person who's just cut me off is actually my issue and not theirs. I don't know if you struggle with anger when you drive, but I think Washington has ruined me. I'm just not used to traffic anymore. And so I realize that the issue is actually in my heart. And I don't honk the horn or shout or wave or anything like that, right? Because I know the issue's mine. That happens with our Christian brothers and sisters too. A person says a certain thing or talks in a certain way or behaves in a certain way. And it just, it just pushes a button. And that button is something that, that isn't godly in you. And it is, it is time for you to, to stay quiet, to repent, to deal with that on your own. So a question that you need to ask yourself is, is my complaint reasonable? 
And what that means is, is this my issue or is it something I need to talk to them about? And then it's, am I the person to talk to them about this? Because sometimes you haven't earned the right. Sometimes you don't have a relationship with someone that makes it appropriate for you to speak to them about about this thing you're upset about, right? We need to ask, is my complaint reasonable? Is it my issue or is it theirs? And am I the person to do this? But even though it's it's frightening, if we're going to have the other person's highest good in mind, then we need to have courage. And that sometimes that means we're going to have to confront. And it's important to remember that confrontation, it's not just an act of courage, it's also an act of love. And so that means that when you confront, it's important to do it with love. Now that might sound odd. Confrontation may not sound like a very loving thing to do. But there's a verse that perfectly describes what this is supposed to look like. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about Christian maturity. And he's talking about the importance of being mature, of, of doing away with immaturity. And then he says in verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. We need to be willing to be honest, to say true things that people need to hear. But it's not enough to just say the thing. You've got to do it with love. And that's hard sometimes. When you're angry, speaking with love is hard sometimes. Does anyone else ever have a hard time sounding loving when you're angry? Nobody here struggles with that. That's good to know. But we're called to speak truth and to do it with love. And that probably means you need to cool down. If you're hot, If you're angry, if you've lost your temper, it's not the time, most likely, for the confrontation. You need to cool. You need to ask yourself if your complaint's reasonable, and then, with love, be willing to speak truth. And it's hard. It can be frightening. A confrontation can be scary. It requires courage. Now, There are a lot of reasons why when you confront, you need to do it with love, but one of them is this. Can you remember the last time a person spoke to you in anger and you really took to heart the things they said as reasonable and something you needed to chew on and perhaps needed to change? Or what tends to happen if someone is angry and lashes out at you? What do you tend to do? Exaggerate? I'm hearing whispers. Just say them. You return it, you lash out back, right? It's hard to hear wisdom when it's coming from a source of anger. If you're going to be a a, a source of God speaking to someone, you need to be willing to do it with love. And that probably means taking some time, cooling off, and going to them then. Now, this is important too. Courage is needed on the other side as well. 
When someone confronts us, it's so easy for us to get defensive, even if it's done carefully, even if it's done tactfully, even if it's done with love. If you're like me, when someone suggests that you've done something wrong, your first thought, the very first thing your brain does is try to figure out how you're not actually wrong they are. Does anyone have that experience? Don't ask Lisa if that's something I ever do. But Proverbs is full of instruction on this. I mean, it's just full of it. I'm not sure if it's the most common thing spoken about in Proverbs, but if not, it's very close. The need to take wisdom. The need to take rebuke. Proverbs 19.20 says it this way. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. In other words, if you want to grow, if you want to become as much like Jesus as you can, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be transformed, if you want the heart of our Lord, you need to be willing to be corrected, and that is frightening. It's scary to admit that you're wrong. It's scary to admit that you need to change. And it requires courage. So if you're going to confront someone, there's three steps I want to encourage you to to take in the process. The first one is this. You need to ask yourself if your complaint is reasonable. Is this my issue or theirs? And am I the person to do it? Now, you don't want to use that as an excuse to get out of it. You want to really ask the question. Two, pray for courage. This is not something you want to do apart from time spent with the Lord in prayer. You want to ask for His help. You want to ask for His guidance. And most of all, if it's hard, if you're afraid, you should ask for courage. And three, when you confront You should confront with love. So I know we focused on on one one aspect or one thing that comes from courage today. We, We focused a lot on confrontation, but that isn't the only part of Christian courage. Courage comes up every time that it's hard to do the right thing. Every time it's hard to obey our Lord. Now, Lord willing, we're never going to have to have courage for the same reasons and in the same way that our Anabaptist ancestors did. Lord willing, you'll never find yourself in a position like Felix Mance when you're you're put in a place where your life is in danger for your beliefs. But that is what Christian courage looks like. A willingness to obey, to follow Jesus, even when it's going to cost, even when it's hard, even when you're afraid. And courage is absolutely part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because there was that moment in the garden as Jesus is down on his knees in prayer. And he says in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says this, knowing what's coming, knowing the 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 awful, excruciating torture he was going to experience for you and for me. 
He says this, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And that prayer of Jesus Christ, I think, is a good prayer for us when we need courage. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to say, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But courage then is being willing to say, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what parts of your life require your courage right now. Perhaps you have that person that you need to share your faith with and you've struggled because it's, it's frightening. But you feel that prompt. You feel that pull. It's time to say something. I want to encourage you to pray for courage. Perhaps you, you have this part of your life that you know giving up is going to be hard. People are going to, people are going to notice something different. You're going to have to deal with questions. The, the sanctification process can be so painful. Pray for courage. Or maybe you have that person, that frustration you've been holding on to, and it's time for you to speak up and say something. I want to encourage you to pray for courage. To follow Jesus, to say, not my will, but yours be done. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask for your help. We need you more than we need the next beat of our heart. We need you more than we need our next breath. Lord, you are everything. And our need for you is absolute. And God, we ask today that you would convict us of any area in our heart that we've held on to a cowardice, that we've run afraid of something that you've called us to. Lord, embolden us. Give us courage. And remind us over and over again of our need to come back to you, to ask for your help, to remember that you are the source of our strength. You are the source of our courage. Help us to remember that you are always with us and that we belong to you. We love you and we praise you. In your son's holy and precious name, amen.